Hi, I'm Olivia. And I'm Amy. And this is the Girls in Marketing podcast. Every week, we release a new episode that you won't want to miss. Our guests are industry experts with amazing experiences, so you'll always come away with new nuggets of wisdom. From educational and inspiring episodes covering the latest in digital marketing, to casual and fun chats with the Girls in Marketing team, unpacking marketing myths and trends, we've got it all. Here at Girls in Marketing, we're all about empowering and supporting women to be the best marketers they can be through our online learning platform and community. Check out our resources and membership to get involved as we'd love to welcome you to our inner circle. Right, let's dive into an episode together. Hello and welcome back to the Girls in Marketing podcast. Today I have the pleasure of being joined by Rachel Allison, founder of Axe and Saw. Tired of the PR industry and desperate for a new era of comms, Rachel founded Axe and Saw, a new purpose-led agency that provides communication strategies grounded in inclusive values and principles, putting communities at the heart of their thinking and building stories that people want to talk about. With over 13 years experience, she has built a unique offering merging brands with culture to produce fresh new perspectives to the way things are done. As a result of this, she's attracted like-minded leaders and brands willing to do the work and make a positive difference to society. Today, I'm very excited to pick Rachel's brains about the world of PR and the changes the industry has seen over the past decade. Let's get into the episode. Well, lovely to have you in the studio, Rachel. Thank you for having me. I want to get started because you've got such a wealth of experience in PR and within the industry. So I want to get started and talk about your journey to how you got to where you are. So give us a bit of a a sum up of your career journey so far. Um, Yeah, I mean, where do I start? So I've been in the PR industry for around 12, 13 years now, even though I probably look a lot younger than I actually am. Um, and it kind of started for me, I would say, <laughs> through watching reality TV shows. Okay. Um, and it was probably the era of like The Hills and all those kind of like trashy OC era TV shows. And it was there that I kind of understood that there was a little bit more to like the fashion retail world than I had initially seen. So I grew up in Watford, which is like in Hertfordshire, I'd say like suburban town-esque type place. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically worked at Topshop, which was like the epitome of cool in those days. And from that, I was thinking like, perhaps my future career, instead of being like a lawyer or a doctor or whatever kind of school pushes, it might be something a bit more creative and a bit more into fashion. And I wasn't good at art, so I couldn't do design. Um, (laughs) Wasn't good at much apart from talking and writing. Um, And so I thought the only career path was to be a store manager. Nothing wrong with that. But then they had launched this thing called the Fashion Retail Academy, um, which was in London. And it basically taught you all the skills behind the scenes to work at a head office for a retail company. And it was through that that I kind of found out about PR and that was kind of my initial eyes wide open moment where I was like, oh, I could do something more creative and that's more aligned with my skills. Um, And the guy who taught that course just seemed super fun, (laughs) which kind of shows what was appealing to me. (laughs) Um, And yeah, I basically did the Fashion Retail Academy, did my PR thing and then I... um, kind of like played around for a bit, like seeing what else was out there, tried a bit of buying, wasn't for me. In fact, I actually worked at Tesco buying and I did jersey wear, which was incredibly dull. Mm-hmm. No offence to anyone that does it. <laughs> um, but like there's only so much jersey white t-shirts and black t-shirts you can ever buy. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was my life for a bit. And then I was like, I need to get back into London and I loved it. And then I went to LCC and I studied PR as a degree. And then it was kind of through that that I got an internship at a really amazing firm, actually. It was one of the only firms at that time that did a paid internship, which was £400 a month full-time, Monday to Friday. (laughs) Wow, I was so rich. Um, But I worked seven days a week, moved to London, and, like, was probably, like, I can't believe I ever had that life, but, like, lived in some really crusty house share and just grafted really hard. And that was kind of, I got quite addicted to that London living, even though I was broke and 
I just, yeah, I just met amazing people along the way. And that kind of led me to my actual career where I started out in broadcast PR and then worked for a couple of different small and medium, large size agencies through my time um, and kind of built this repertoire, I would say, of like starting off in broadcast, which is quite a different field. Um, and I can talk about that in a bit, but like it kind of gave me this versatility to be able to take stories and run with them. And then I kind of was like, well, actually, I love doubling down on certain areas of the industry because I love the purpose with like working on campaigns for the NHS. But I also love the cool stuff. And at that point, I was like, loved going to festivals. I loved going out for drinks. So that was kind of what I was drawn to. And that was really where I kind of started to build my like love for the industry that I could actually work on things that I like found fun and enjoyable and also purpose-driven, which kind of is essentially what my business is today. Yeah, that's kind of what you're doing now, isn't yeah. it? Which is so amazing that it's kind of almost come full circle really for you. Yeah. Um, I want to dive in and talk about PR then, because obviously that's something that you've had such a wealth of experience in from broadcast all the way to what you're doing now, which is a lot more kind of strategy and storytelling and stuff like that. Um, for anyone out there, obviously we are typically girls in marketing. Um, but I think PR and marketing have quite a kind of um, they interweave a lot and there's a lot of you know storytelling and creativity that comes into both there's a lot of agencies now that kind of mix the two and people there's a lot of nuance around it isn't there yeah and I felt like it would be really good to get you on to talk about PR and kind of how we in kind of integrate that within marketing and within storytelling and um, so for anyone who doesn't know what would you say PR is your kind of definition Oof. <laughs> for like uh yeah this is a controversial one I strangely put something up on my LinkedIn being like actually is the terminology PR the right do people really understand what it means anymore and is it even the right thing but actually someone responded saying if you actually double it down to its most like basic understanding it's about connecting the public to a brand and telling their story and that does make sense but then it also falls into every other dimension of it right like marketing kind of mm -hmm. does the same thing but it's more linked to sales advertising does the same thing but it's more of a paid for situation so I've kind of landed on the fact that I think the PR industry as a whole has not really caught up with the amount of different work that is done so yeah I think the PR industry hasn't really done a brilliant job at evolving the understanding of what it is that PR actually is anymore. And I think to simplify it, I have tried and continue to try to like communicate that PR is in essence about storytelling now. And it's about how you can organically build a community, um, whether that's through events or whether it's through content or whether that's through you know, standard media relations, that is kind of what PR is known for. It's about finding out where your community is, creating a story, and then getting that to organically tell what you want to share as a brand, mm -hmm. I would say. Very yeah. long-winded way of saying that PR needs evolving. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, though, with PR in particular, it's that storytelling element that works. Yeah. Because, you know, I see a lot... Um, I don't really post on Twitter, but I'm very much like a consumer on Twitter. Yeah. And I feel like on Twitter, so many people talk about PR and kind of what it is and what it's not. And a big thing is obviously that storytelling element and the success of PR comes from being able to be a storyteller, um, which I think definitely works hand in hand with marketing, especially more creative elements of marketing. Mm. Um, but I want to go back and kind of talk about your time with the broadcast agency then, yeah. working in broadcast PR, what was that like? I know obviously that was kind of at the beginning of things yeah. for you. Um, yeah, because I think that's much more traditional as well, isn't it? Yeah, it's so traditional. And I had no idea what broadcast PR was when I applied for the job. Mm -hmm. And to be honest with you, what, it wasn't really on my horizon. Like, I, as I said, I wrote a list when I came out of university, wrote a list of all the agencies and the brands and the people and whatever I wanted to work with. And that hadn't even entered my periphery, in all honesty. Um, but it, I think it was one of the most valuable experiences I could have had entering the industry because it was, so to give, I, I don't think many people know what broadcast PR agencies even okay. do. So 
what basically happens is a big consumer agency or maybe even a marketing agency comes up with a campaign they're often working on for like three months. And it's like, um, I don't know, let's use drive, think, drive, safe, whatever it's called for like the government, sorry. That. Um, So you've been working on it for however long and then you basically enlist this broadcast PR agency within the 10 days before it goes live and you brief them and then you share your press release and then from that you have to, as the broadcast PR, digest all of that information, build out how that's going to work for broadcast. So like, do we have filming opportunities? Is there a spokesperson available? Have we written briefing notes? So all of the kind of nitty gritty stuff that actually lands on the TV, you have to come up with and then you have to pitch it and get TV and like a ton of radio stations. And you normally have like a five day window to do it in. So it's really fast paced, really intense. And you're normally working on like five different stories at once. It's like a newsroom. So loads of people from the BBC, for example, would kind of leave the BBC And that would be their first like toe dip into the PR industry because it was so similar to how they were working. So you have to be amazing at crafting copy. I wasn't great when I started, I'm not going to lie, but it definitely like put me through the trenches. Um, You have to be really good at understanding the depth of like what, and actually I think people get quite lost in like the consumer PR world in like, what is the actual story? Like sometimes you just do an event and it's like, why? What's the purpose behind it? And actually broadcast is very clear about that. And you have to have that driving why, otherwise it just doesn't land. Um, And then also like just understanding the elements that actually allow it to get pick up. So I actually would encourage people to start off in the broadcast world. I know it feels like it's really old school, but it will actually help you with every other element of PR or marketing because you really do understand the storytelling Mm. and I think yeah I would actually urge people to go into that industry more yeah what what would you say was your kind of favorite part of of working in it was it the fast-pacedness or was it just like kind of learning as you go yeah I think it's like being chucked in the deep end a little bit because you have to know like (laughs) I learned the whole of the UK radio stations regionally like Radio City knew all about that like Mm -hmm. the different shows and actually you become really um like it's like its own little community which is really cute and then also like you have the regional stations then you have like pitching to Radio 4 Women's Hour like there were some scary people on those desks (laughs) and you had to pick up the phone it was like old school pick up the phone pitch it as quickly as you can and get them hooked in like a minute and I loved the reward (laughs) when it went well also I kind of got a buzz out of when it didn't go well because I was like, okay, cool. Like, I've obviously not nailed it that way. Let me look at it from a different angle. And it was just every day was super different and you kind of didn't really get bogged down or like bored by a campaign because you only had it for like 10 days. So I love that. And it was really, it was like, I would say a boot camp for like understanding the PR industry (laughs) as quickly as possible. I actually love how you've just framed the fact that when you were kind of like rejected by someone that you were like okay cool that's like a learning opportunity that's so like refreshing because so many people I think in general I mean obviously taken away from everything PR and marketing and everything so many people when they get rejected it's almost like a oh well it's me it's you know it may be if if in that instance you were like oh you know it's me and like what am I doing and kind of focusing on the wrong things whereas Mm. you very much took that as like okay well you know I can change this I can tweak that and as a learning opportunity it's just so nice to kind of hear that that's how you felt even from the beginning yeah um which I think probably shows more about your character and then obviously you've went on to build your own thing which is amazing so I mean that's just so nice to hear yeah no I mean thank you and also it's definitely true like you have to be resilient in this industry like I wouldn't say this is an industry where you can like I don't think you'll get that far actually if you just sit there and you just take it you have to be like looking at different angles all the time or like if we're not getting coverage as a team for example and that's one of our KPIs that we're being measured on I'm always like let's just zoom out and think about how we can drive impact in a different way. Like, I just think there's never not a way around it. And I think I've always been quite like nimble, I'd mm-hmm. say as a, as a person. And I think it's reflected in like how I approach work, I would say. So like, yeah, I'd say if you're starting out in your career and you feel like rejection is a consistent thing that's happening, it is worth just 
picking someone else's brains and being like, this is how I tried to do it. What would you advise? Or just like seek advice. And actually, I would say to that point, when I was that age starting out, I had a really good manager who was so good at pitching. Um, her name was Rosie. And like, she'd pick up the phone and like, she'd always be like, right, done. Like BBC Breakfast, booked in Channel 4. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, like one day I will be as good as her. And like, I genuinely would like listen to how she would engage on the phone and like how she'd start her pitch and how she'd finish it. And just the things that came around alongside that. And yeah, it really helped me to grow. So I would, encourage that if you can mm -hmm. I think having a good manager especially at the start yeah. of your career is so important isn't yeah. It? yeah yeah um so then moving on a little bit then to obviously after that you've then went on to work in kind of smaller agencies bigger agencies um and also kind of more like luxurious fashion kind of yeah, world yeah. um so I want to talk about the almost like the differences and the similarities for you between kind of small agency versus big agency because I know we have a lot of people in our community that you know when they look for a role they think about agency work and there are there is a lot of differences between kind of bigger agencies and smaller so what's your kind of experience with that? Yeah so I started small when I'd say medium medium like 50-ish plus mm -hmm. um, with like offices in a couple of countries I'd say and then went back to small and then went to like global and <laughs> so I've tried it all and what I would say is if you are hungry driven and ambitious small agency gives you so much scope to get stuck in and like you'll have to be hardworking because there's nowhere to hide but that allows you such unlimited access to people at the top table or client facing things that you'd never get that same access to if you were at a big agency and actually I found that quite restrictive when I went to a big agency because I had it was like you are trusted a lot quicker in a small agency and there's so much opportunity for you if you want it because there's nowhere to hide as I said um and if you are that person and that's the way you're built, you will progress super quickly in a small agency. And then if you want a more chilled life, which I personally think like big agencies is a lot of, I think there's a lot of problems with how they've been created. I think they're quite old school in the way that they approach things. A lot of them, I wouldn't say are very progressive. It's just a bit like, I often say like a bit like a Titanic ship. It's just so big and like chugging away and mm. it kind I think it's like really hard to react quickly in those spaces whereas if you're quite dynamic and you're creative and you want to kind of push things forward a small to medium-sized agency is where you're going to get that kind of engagement and that excitement so um yeah that's what I would say it depends on your character like I think if you're a big agency person you quite like systems and formulas and you know that's like a cushion around you quite a lot and if maybe I don't know, it's a lot of office politics that you have to deal with just as much as like client relationships and actually delivering coverage. But essentially my experience from big agency is that <laughs> they're not great, actually. Mm -hmm. they're, they're exciting for a CV, but like, I yeah, I think down with big agencies <laughs> mm -hmm. what's interesting though is is that idea of like the bigger agencies do have the processes and do have the systems and I think that if that's something that as a person that you like, like. And, and enjoy and you kind of thrive off then maybe that is something yeah um you know that would suit you and, and I know similar to yourself I probably wouldn't because I, yeah. I think I thrive more in kind of the the smaller environments that yeah. are not even necessarily more creative but just as you said like more agile like mm. more reactive that sort yeah thing. but it really does depend on the type of person 100%. that you are and I think that people often do get caught up in kind of the names of uh, big agencies yeah. or even big companies like 100%. it's the same for both and people say oh you know I really want to go and work for this really big company or this big agency and get it on my CV yeah um but oftentimes it's the working for like the smaller agencies the smaller businesses that give you more experience and 100%. kind of offer you yeah that that environment but equally it can be quite chaotic as well you mm. know I fully admit that our team sometimes with girls in marketing it can be quite hectic because when you're a small Same. team yeah. you know it, it's a lot um so oh, I want to talk about your experience with the bigger agencies then 
obviously you kind of worked in like upper class designer um, and I know that wasn't really something for no. you in particular <laughs> um, but how did you kind of feel about that like being in that environment and kind of working with those sorts of people and yeah, yeah. what was that experience like? I would say like <laughs> I'd say try everything once because mm-hmm. you never know what you might like and what you might thrive in and um yeah, that wasn't for me, but I learned a lot about smoking mirrors. <laughs> That's yeah. what I would say. Um, because I think what tends to happen in big agencies is they get big retainers in and it's, there's just a lot of navel gazing. And by that, I mean, there's just a lot of time invested into making things look good without really driving any impact. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people on a team to do exactly that one thing. And sometimes you don't actually even get to deliver the end goal because you're in meetings for so long. By that time, the date's gone and everyone's fine with that. And there's like a couple of thousand chucked here, there and everywhere on nothing. And that's kind of an old business model that I think works for some people and some brands who aren't very like willing to make decisive moves and changes and need to tick a box every year, whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, I found that big agencies for me were a bit like soul destroying because that wasn't at all what I found appealing about the industry. Like I liked being able to see significant impact as a result of what I was doing. And there was just wasn't that unless it was literally like, oh, wow, that deck looks amazing. It's like, okay, cool. (laughs) Um, that isn't what I want to be known for or what my passion point is. And what I would say from working with the bigger brands and people from different backgrounds is that it just highlighted how closed the industry can be. And that's the majority of the industry. Like the fact I've actually found other agencies that aren't like that is, I mean, they're still one of a few. Mm -hmm. Um, Most PR agencies are, and like advertising agencies are like, very, very the same. Like they're all very middle-class, upper-class, London-based. They're all kind of the same ideas and kind of going around in rotation. It's all quite samey. And then I feel like the smaller agencies kind of push it forward a bit and then they kind of get a bit braver and then it starts to move forward into another direction. And I think that's the same with brands as well. Like you always have like the little challenger brands that come up and like disrupt a healthcare industry and suddenly the NHS or whoever it is is suddenly like, oh, actually we need to use apps to help drive this. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's you need that because otherwise change will never happen. So there's, yeah, I've kind of gone off on a tangent, but (laughs) yeah, what I would say is you learn a lot from being in different environments. And what I would say to my younger self is just to keep soaking it all in like Mm -hmm. you only know what you really care about once you've experienced other things yeah and just yeah with that in mind then what kind of led you to to start your own agency I know obviously you are a smaller team um yeah what kind of led you to to that was it passion because I feel like it it definitely kind of feels like it was passion yeah definitely it it was passion and also frustration so I I left in the middle of COVID um obviously like my mum was like do you really really want to leave like now like it's a good paying job and like they've let everyone else go and you're kind of like this is a great opportunity for you and I was just like I didn't I my like I'm not happy like Mm -hmm. at all this isn't what I want to do and so it was at that point where I think a lot of people started reassessing and reevaluating what they wanted to do in their careers and I kind of got involved with um like the DNI element of this big agency and it gave me like a little bit more purpose in what I was doing but it didn't fill the void that I felt was just getting more and more intense you know when you're just at home and you're just like there's really nothing else also all my friends were on furlough and I was so jealous it was that really hot summer um and I was just working like I I think I started work at 6 a.m and I finished at like 10 11 p.m every day and it was horribly intense I was just like this isn't what I want to do and so I came to the conclusion I was either going to leave the industry and retrain (laughs) in god knows what or I was going to try and like 
figure out what it is that I thought I should be doing within the industry. So I did a couple of freelance things, which was amazing, again, for experience in completely different areas. And while I was doing that, I was also thinking about if I did this, what would it look like? And so in that time, because I was like, the freelance thing is cute because you get good money mm-hmm. and, but you're not really part of the team. And I, and like, even though actually, to be fair, everyone offered me the full-time job afterwards, which I didn't want. Um, I was like, it's still not what I want. It's still not quite there. And I was like, there's still not an agency that is making me think this is exactly what I think should be out there. So I was like, fine, I will try and create what I think is missing in the industry. And if it goes well, it goes well. If it doesn't, I can just go back to freelancing. I know this is now available. I'm at a senior enough level where it's worth it. Um, And so that was essentially how Axe and Saul was born, which, yeah. So I say it's like an antidote to the traditional agency. Um, And that was it. I basically listed everything I didn't like about the agency world and (laughs) was like, how can I fix that? What is it that I'll change about it? What do I want to do differently? And so it came around with like all of my values around making sure that the team is diverse. It doesn't matter about them coming from a university background or if they're not based in London, like we can make it work. It's like we're hybrid. Um, There's that kind of element. There's also like the different ages that I want to get involved and always try to get involved. There's also, um, we work a four day week and I've been like pretty adamant on the fact that we should stick to it as much as humanly possible. Um, And that is getting paid the full five day week salary, but just like reducing and being really effing productive in the four days Mm -hmm. and just trying to flip things on its head. Like what would happen if, what would happen if we tried it differently? How would we all feel? Um, What would happen if we worked on clients that were just super aligned with our values? Like how would we all feel about the industry? And it's so far so good. We've like attracted the right clients so far. Um, and we've been really honest with people that aren't necessarily the right clients as well and just, you know, redirected them where where possible. Um, it's been touch and go with people because I feel like sometimes when you push out a certain message, say like a four-day week, it can attract people wanting to literally go out and do like yoga in the middle of the day and logging off dead on five or whatever and that isn't really what I'm trying to say it's more that you get you reap what you sow basically like work hard get the reward not Mm -hmm. just coast we're not coasty people we work hard yeah um and so that's been a bit hard to navigate in terms of communication communicating the what our brand values are I suppose um But yeah, I think we've got there in terms of the team is just so good right now. Like I'm so excited by them. Um, And I feel like I've got lost in my own storyline there. Sorry. But (laughs) but that's key though, isn't it? For your team to excite you and for you to feel really excited by what you're doing. And the fact that you acknowledge that what you currently have and offer wasn't something that was really available. Um, And you've almost kind of become one of those like challenger agencies that is kind of pushing other agencies to move forward. And I think that's just really nice because, you know, if people like yourself don't create those spaces, then they're never going to exist. And, you know, what happens is that not even agencies, but just the industry gets kind of stuck in that like loop and almost kind of like a cave of just people talking Mm. and, you know, echoes and, and, like an echo chamber yeah. isn't it really yeah um so it, it's just really kind of exciting to hear that you've built it just off the back of your own experience yeah obviously some of the experience not as great as others but yeah. it, it's good to hear that you are building something that you enjoy and, yeah. and that's the point isn't it and often with business I think people get kind of like really focused on how can we generate you know more revenue more profit and they forget about the reason that they started Mm. um which is essential you know kind of carrying on Mm. um so I want to dive in and talk a little bit about kind of marketing and PR because that's obviously your specialism Mm -hmm. um PR in particular so for for anyone who's kind of not aware let's talk about like the differences between marketing PR Mm. um because your agency obviously focuses on storytelling and kind of strategy and like PR um and I'd say it's relatively like the creative side of things mm. from from what I can see. Mm-hmm. So what would you kind of say the differences are with, with marketing? So I feel like they're becoming increasingly 
blended. Like the line is getting thinner and thinner between the two, right? Like, as I said, if if we're basing it from a... St- I think for it to be done really well, it kind of all needs to link up anyway. And so if we're basing it from a fundamentals, I would say that PR is about the organic side of things and marketing is about the paid side of things and having a clear direct to sales. Whereas I don't think PR has a clear direct to sales. It's more long-term awareness driving, brand building. It's actually a way more long-winded process in terms of getting results. Um, And another thing that I think like PR needs to be better at communicating is like, it's not going to be a like quick fire reaction. It's always going to be something that you see over time. And I think I, I hope that with all my clients, I make that super clear. Like it's going to keep happening, but it's going to build your long-term credibility. It's not about just doing like knee jerk things all the time. It's about building your reputation on a on a wider scale. Um, and so far so good or clients happy Mm -hmm. Um, but what I would say like marketing for me does really well when they work together so like if you're doing a story mm, here we go (laughs) that example on on the spot if you're doing a story about um, let's go with a drinks brand and you are talking about the fact that the drinks brand is a disruptor and it only attracts a certain audience. And so the storytelling element is about, I don't know, this is a drink for the different drinkers or something. Not my best work. Um, If you did something like that, you would kind of want your marketing, your point of sale, all of the activations to tell the same story. So the marketing element might be um, if your name is spelt differently than these traditional ways. I'm making this up, but you get 10% off. And then the PR campaign can be about platforming those voices that have different stories to tell or like, you know, you can work it through so that it is a full 360. The ad really should link into the same story as well. Like, and that's how I feel like PR and marketing should be looked at. So while I definitely think our thing is storytelling, I think it has to run in tandem with how the marketing activation happens as well as the PR. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think they should be in silo. And also you see way more impact. Like when we're doing things with clients and it's like, even if it's a push around, which I don't love doing and my clients know that, but like around Valentine's Day, Mm -hmm. if we're doing a storytelling element, we want their product to align with what we're saying. And therefore, if we can do an offer that links to that product, then it makes sense and you will see a more direct impact of the sales. So like, it should all work together and yeah. it shouldn't be separate things, but often they are, aren't yeah. they? What's interesting is that, I mean, I think that was quite a good example considering it's off the cuff. Thank you. Um, so not copyrighted, <laughs> so if anyone wants to take it. Um, but I think what's really great, similar kind of thing when um, Coca-Cola did the name yeah. on the... Uh, on, the on, on the bottles yeah and they kind of continued that because i think it was like a short-term thing but then they also brought in like loads of different names like originally it was just pretty like dave and you know mike yeah. and stuff like that and then they brought in a lot more diverse names yeah i don't know whether that was like a push from other people to get that or whether that was their own yeah. kind of doing and then equally they started in bringing like mom and dads and kind of when it wasn't just about names it was about like that kind of like share a coke with yeah. like family and it was kind of I, I remember that and it was just such a nice like as a consumer it was such a nice campaign and yeah. I think that they must have done a lot around kind of mm. PR and marketing to really pull that, that off. Yeah. Because um, I just remember seeing so much of it, like especially on TV from like an advertising yeah. perspective and then in stores, it was like massive, wasn't it? So I think that's a a good example of something example. like that working really well. Yeah. Um, and I love the idea that you were saying about PR and marketing kind of PR you know having to like integrate with marketing yeah I always I always talk about marketing being top of funnel sales yeah I always because I, I speak to salespeople and they're kind of like 
don't really value marketing very yeah. much. There's a lot of business owners and salespeople who just kind of say, oh, marketing, whatever. Yeah. And they definitely will as well with PR mm. because half the time it's quite difficult to measure like ROI. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always see marketing as top of funnel sales. Yeah. So with that in mind, we'd probably even say like PR's up there as well, yeah. like in terms of that awareness and like brand reputation yeah. piece. Um, it's just really interesting how brands utilize kind of PR to their advantage and yeah. then making sure that it kind of integrates with marketing but it can be also done wrong as well I yeah. think um I can't really think of any brands off the top of my head that haven't done it so well um but my well, if I, you can well <laughs> yeah <laughs> I don't know if I can but I was gonna say I think that you are completely correct in what you're saying mm-hmm. I think it's like I always and actually part of working at like a big ad agency is like they really didn't understand internally. So it's like an internal battle of uh, the role of PR. Okay. And it's also like advertising is so like, <laughs> I want to tell you a story and you will watch this story and it will be good because we've paid for it to be in your face. But does that mean that you can tell the story in any other lens? No, because you haven't really thought it through from a 360 perspective. So I find it crazy that brands would spend on advertising so quickly. And like, you know, those adverts cost absolute dollar bills. And yet they don't think through their whole comms and marketing strategy and use advertising as a funnel within that. Um, And so what I was going to say is I personally have a bit of a problem with the Christmas ad era. Okay. Because in my opinion, it's just turned into like this BAFTA of like big agencies showing off that they've got like 500 creatives working on a brief for God knows how much budget to tell you a story that, I yeah, okay, is touching for like five minutes and like everyone's like, oh my God, I cried. But what is that doing to drive sales? Like my mum is not going to pick a turkey from Tesco's versus Marks and Spencer's because she cried because they had a storyline where the kid was adopted and it was his first turkey. Like, she's not going to. <laughs> it's like, what, what have we lost the plot a little bit? Like, yeah. it's such an industry, like, strokes ego mm. situation for the Christmas thing. And I'm just like, that bores me to tears. And that's exactly what I think is wrong with the industry, to be yeah. honest with you. And like, that's how it's done wrong. Yeah. Like, if you are a brand that's spending that amount of money in the middle of a cost of living crisis on something to make someone cry for five minutes, yes, you're meant to get emotional with your customer. That's part of all of our jobs. I get that. But is that really, especially for advertising, going to land you any more sales at the end of it? I can promise you the answer is no. And so that's, again, another example where I haven't really seen a clever, like, advert with like the snowman or whatever it is really translate into direct correlation of storytelling that's effective or storytelling that's really going to drive customers into your store um and so I actually think and I'm not 100% correct but I'm pretty sure co-op last year decided to sack off their Christmas ad and do like small activation with like big zoo or something I think (laughs) and then use that money to to put into local food banks Mm -hmm. given that their whole messaging is around community that is like bang on like if you're going to do something around Christmas that's what you should be doing and yet they didn't get that much PR from it I wouldn't say she says repeating the advert so maybe they did Mm -hmm. um but yeah it's like that is how things can be done wrong and also right like I think we get a little bit lost in a little I say we, I'm not in this, but like in the like little middle-class London bubble of like, I want to win an award for our work and, you know, come out of it. And, you know, clients must be guilty of it too because they're signing off on it. Yeah. But actually like, let's go back to basics. Like what's the purpose of this? Yeah. And that's when I'd say things have gone a bit wrong. I'm still laughing at the turkey thing. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to just start giggling any minute. But I think I... I am, I do like a good Christmas ad, but I totally know where you're coming from. And I do think that I noticed it particularly this year. Yeah, um, well, the, just the year just gone yeah. is that it, it kind of is just like who can who can run the fastest and get and win the race. Yeah. You know? you know, and I think 
sometimes it's obviously expected of brands of bigger brands now to like oh when's it gonna come out and like what's it gonna be like and sometimes like it's done really well and it you know it works but as you said it's kind of like the amount of budget and effort that's gone into it you know is it actually worth it like you know again how does that work in terms of like customer journey how does it work in terms of marketing It, it feels almost kind of like a yeah, like an ego thing, really, yeah. which is interesting. Because um, if you if you think about it, if you're a customer of, not to call out any brand, because I have no idea how much anyone spent on it, but if you're a customer of Tesco and Sainsbury's and you're struggling to get your food shop, would it not actually jar you that you found out that they spent a quarter of a million pay lining pockets of a big agency mm-hmm. with a bunch of middle-class people yeah. instead of actually helping your local community. Like, when I know that, it irritates me. And mm-hmm. I'm like, this isn't what we're supposed to be doing here. I get it. It's like, cool, well done for you. But, like, I just think there needs to be not necessarily more transparency, but a bit more, like, let's actually think about what we're putting out into the world and why. Mm-hmm. Like, and that isn't, for me, a necessary product that we're all desperate for every Christmas. Like, no. I get it if it's, like, a maybe a Tesco. Um, sorry, not keep mentioning Tesco but I get it if it's like a toy brand and it's like obviously you drive sales around Christmas it makes sense but like it's going past that now yeah it's like a whole novella yeah for your Christmas and new ones every year yeah I think they, they are always interesting as well what brands kind of come up with but I would like to see more brands kind of um, interweaving it with some sort of sales as you said you yeah. know if they've got a particular new product or you know something and it's like something that they're pushing I would like to kind of see that and the impact of it because I, I think it would be huge mm. Um, obviously you've been kind of in the industry for quite a while and you have definitely seen the landscape kind of change mm. especially with the rise in like social media and digital marketing and, mm. and stuff like that how would you say like the PR landscape's changed within the time that you've been in it especially with that new like digital element because I know obviously at the beginning maybe there wasn't as much and then now it's like the main thing is like socials and you know digital yeah. and that yeah it's changed dramatically since I started I like if 10 years older than me like I don't know what on earth you guys have seen like that must have been a wild time um evolving in front of your very eyes but like yeah when I did my PR degree they had just brought in I'm pretty sure it was like two years old a social media course element to it and I remember thinking because they kept talking about metrics and like I was just like what on earth is this is like maths and I like really didn't get it probably didn't pay much attention to it which is my own fault because honestly if I paid attention I'd be so rich and I'd be a little genius and changing the world right now um but yeah it has changed dramatically because you can't not think about it and um I don't think people cottoned on to how significant it would be in their everyday plan of how to drive storytelling or marketing or sales or whatever in that era and now it's like crucial um which is amazing for people trying to get into the industry because you can come with something that is going to add value to a business straight away and the people that were in my generation or like people graduating around my time who cottoned on to that have done really well like it's it was kind of anyone's like they're head of digital at the age of whatever Mm -hmm. do you know what I mean like they've done a really amazing job um, however, it's likely to evolve again. So you just have, I think that's part of this industry though. Like you have to just keep, st- it's like a bit of a hamster wheel when you think about it, because there's always something new. And it's like, I don't think every channel is for everyone and you don't have to make it for you all the time, but you have to be aware of it all. And you have to almost be an expert or know enough to guide your client, whether or not it's the right, the right move for them or not. Mm-hmm. And so what I've seen dramatically change from just the standard media relations perspective is obviously a ton of jobs are getting cut every single day at this point from like publications. Um, I think Paper Magazine just made a load of people redundant. The music industry in terms of publications is like really like suffering at the moment. And it is just a landscape that is continuously evolving. The 
thing I'm seeing that works the most for brands, and I definitely advise all my clients to do this, is to use things like affiliate links. So that is really not where PR would once traditionally be. It would be a much more SEO-driven, digital marketing PR-y type thing. But actually that's becoming crucial because that's how they're making their money as publications. Um, making sure that you have a social plan that runs alongside your kind of more traditional routes, that has to happen. Look for content in any campaign thing that you're doing. Like you have to integrate it entirely into your way of thinking. So it has hugely, hugely changed. But I think with that, it makes more sense. Although we're turning into a lot more of a paid environment, organic is a lot harder to get through these days because everyone's trying to stay afloat. So it really does come down to the fundamental, which I bang on about, which is like telling a good story and making sure it's worth saying. And I think that just comes down to like, the human aspect which is where kind of like we specialize I'd say mm-hmm. well then obviously that's kind of like the what makes a good campaign that kind of storytelling element what would you say like alternatively what makes a bad campaign like what would you advise people against when it comes to PR especially kind of in 2023 and kind of where we are now yeah A bad campaign to me is like just a really ill thought through idea mm-hmm. um and like not giving it enough time to breathe, not giving it enough time to really consider um, and then not really having like a clear why. I think that's just a waste of everyone's time. And like that to me is just the simplest way of how you can mess up a campaign. Like just saying, oh, this is an idea that we've had said brand. Luckily we don't have this, but like, yeah, said brand said, this is what we want to do. We've got three days to turn it around like that kind of energy is just like, what's the purpose of this? Like Mm -hmm. putting an event on for the sake of it. Unless there's a clear like demand and need and drive, I don't see the point in doing that type of campaign. Um, I also just don't feel like doing campaigns for the sake of it in general is a good strategy to like, I don't think it's a good thing that we should be pushing out as an industry. Like, Mm If it's like, I don't know, Valentine's Day, I keep using, but like if it's Valentine's Day and your brand doesn't really need to talk about it, that you don't have to do it. Like yeah. if it's not landing, you don't have to put something out. It's yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, whereas I think there's this innate pressure to constantly push out and churn information or things and da And sometimes it's just like, this is just noise for the sake of it. Like yeah. I think I had on my website when I first started, like this isn't an agency where we're going to float something down the Thames or get Stormzy to front our campaigns because that was all I ever heard in every every single meeting and creative session. I was just like, oh my God, we're going to float a trainer down the Thames and we'll have a party on it and Stormzy's going to do a guest appearance. And oh my God, here we go again. Yeah. And it's like, why? Why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. What's the link? Yeah. It's not good. I mean, I am quite a fan of Stormzy, I'll be honest. I'm a fan so, of Stormzy. I, I mean, don't hate the guy. <laughs> yeah. I think he's a good guy. Um, <laughs> just but, doesn't need to be on every campaign. Yeah. Floating. And also, yeah. yeah. Like also just like, it just shows there's so many other, and I'm not trying to um, step on Stormzy's cash flow here at, by any means, <laughs> but like there's so many other voices and faces like that you can utilize. And again, to me, it just highlights the lack of diversity in those creative sessions, right? Like you don't actually know any other rapper. So mm-hmm. that's your best bet. So mm-hmm. everyone's going to keep talking about Stormzy. Like it, it's, he deserves the hype. He's amazing. But like there needs to be more diverse thinking mm-hmm. in those spaces. And yeah, this is where it kind of all kind of boils down to, doesn't it? Yeah. So then um, to kind of finish it, I want to talk about like any advice that you would give for people getting into the industry. I feel like we've covered so much and there's definitely been so many nuggets of, you know, the information and wisdom from you, but anything that you would say, you know, advice for people wanting to get into the industry um, for the first time or just kind of like stepping into the, big wide world of uh, of PR yeah I mean I've got so much advice just message me (laughs) um no I would say that like the first thing I would say is like be hungry like it is a competitive industry especially if you're trying to go after like obviously cool things I'd say is probably my first thing the other thing I would say is 
I would be, I personally felt it got me a lot of places being a yes girl at the beginning, like, <laughs> that's weird. but you know what I mean? Like just kind of being like, Rachel, do you mind going to do da 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 da? I was like, yep. How am I doing it? No idea. But like just kind of chucking yourself in and just like getting stuck in is like a trait which I'm seeing less and less of in mm -hmm. the new generation. And I get it. Like times are hard out here, but it really does help to grow you as a human, as a person, as someone that's working. It might not even be the industry for you. You might actually find out that your skill is photography on along the journey of saying yes to something random. Just try it and see how it works and you'll make it work. Um, so I'd say that. I'd also say, oh, what else would I give advice to young people? I would also say, don't you don't you don't have to think that something is boring because it traditionally sounds boring. So like, I think I've been guilty of this. Like, I would never put myself in like, I just met someone in this, but property PR, for example, because I'd be like, what? Like, what would, that's so dry. Like, what would you do? Da, 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 da. And actually, now I've like renovated a house. So boring, 2.0, showing my age. Um, but now I've renovated a house and like speaking to architects and like all these different like subsets that come within it. Like, I spoke to an architect the other day. He'd like redesign, reimagine like children's homes because the way that it had, this is for my business, not for my life. But like, had reimagined how you can kind of strip down some of those kind of institutional glares and lighting and the way that the building had been curved and the materials that he'd used and the impact that then has on that is mad interesting but you'd never be like I want to get into property PR because you think it's not interesting mm -hmm. and I think it comes down to like how I kind of push accents or as well like it's not industry it's not industry specific it's industry agnostics it's down to the story that you're telling yeah. so if you are a person that's just interested by people and their journey it can play out in different ways you 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 might actually, if you're, if you need to get money, like you might want to go in the financial services of PR or marketing. And then that might help you discover a whole new arm that you'd be amazing at. Like don't shun certain sectors and go for the glamour ones because it's often not the best paid. And if you need money with cost of living, mm -hmm. that is something you should consider. But also like if you're hungry, you can make anything work and like just stay at it. I, I would, if there's anything I've learned is that being consistent has meant that you will get the reward you want at the end. Like consistency is crucial. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming in today. That's okay. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us for another episode of the Girls in Marketing podcast. We love hearing from you. So if you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review to let us know your thoughts and make sure you hit the subscribe or follow button to be the first to hear when our new episodes released. Don't forget, if you want to get involved with Girls in Marketing, check out our membership to join our incredible community of marketers. Think marketing resources, courses, webinars, and more. Find out more on our website or drop us a message on any of our social channels at Girls in Marketing. That's all from us today. So have a wonderful week and we'll see you back here for another